Welcome to another podcast by Every Nation Brisbane. We're so glad you can join us here today. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at enbrisbane.org. Please enjoy the following message. Our reading today comes from Colossians 1, verse 21 to 23. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds... He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Father, thank you this morning for your presence here today. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and bring life to us as we delve into your word today. Pray, Lord, that you would help me to think your thoughts and to speak your words as we dedicate our hearts towards you in this process of hearing your word. I pray, Lord, that it will be more than text on a screen or a page. Lord, that you would activate uh, things in our hearts by bringing life and illumination to your scriptures this morning. In Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. So we are in this series uh, with our global spiritual family here today. Uh, For those of you who are new here, uh, we want to welcome you firstly. Uh, I hope you feel welcome being here with us today. Can we give it up for those who are here visiting with us? Welcome, welcome. Um, We are, uh, like, as as we're looking at this, uh, everybody, we're actually going through this with our spiritual family across the world. We are a church that is part of uh, a movement of churches called Every Nation Uh, which has over 500 churches in over 80 nations. So you're in one of those churches here this weekend. So we welcome you here today, and this is the series we're going through where we're exploring God's biblical view of holiness and how to get the most out of the the life that God has given us. And today's title of today's message is called Holiness Lived. I want to encourage you to take notes because there's quite a bit, even though we just read three verses, there's a lot that is power-packed into those verses today. By way of review, I'm going to just touch on what we talked about last week, which was these four points from the book of Hebrews chapter 7, where we looked at the problem with priests, the problem with lambs, the promise of Jesus, and the promise for us. Uh, We were talking about the whole issue of sacrifice that would happen at the Jewish temple during that time, and the issue that uh, emerged from the Old Testament. And here are the, the, the issues with priests. Remember, we, we highlighted two problems with that. The, the issue with priests, as with all of us as clergy, uh, even today, is that, um, number one, we explored the word finitude, which means that life is finite, right? And so all of these priests would eventually die. And then secondly, we talked about uh, priests failing because they're human, and we're all, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, but we have a great high priest who, number one, is not finite. We have an infinite high priest in Christ Jesus who has been resurrected and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Can I get an amen from somebody who believes that the resurrection power is in this place? Amen. <laughs> but uh, also, uh, we, we believe with all of our hearts that Christ is perfect. He is without blemish. He is without failure. So we also worship and we come to a high priest who is without spot or wrinkle, without blemish. Uh, He is holy. He is righteous. He is pure. And so also when we look at the issue with lambs, when we consider the two issues there, number one is the problem with lambs, and then the number one, uh, the other part of that is the finitude of the lambs, meaning that there's only a 
a finite number of lambs that we can slay. And just think about the constant cycle that would happen in Israelite culture where people would sin and then there's more lambs coming. The high priest is like, far out. Can you just stop doing what you're doing so these lambs can live, right? Um, but we, again, have the perfect lamb in Christ Jesus because he is, again, without spot or wrinkle, he is the sacrifice, like Hebrews 7, once and for all. And so it's the, the, the two issues with the lambs is the number of lambs, and then also our sin is also, uh, it also happens, right? Uh, a lot. Human fallenness is the other issue. So the promise of Jesus is that he is a better priest, and he's also a better sacrifice. And that promise for us, therefore, is that we have been saved, Hebrews says, to the uttermost. He is able to save. Everybody say able to save. To the uttermost. And I highlighted last week two Greek words there, the word for save and the word for able. The word for save there is the word sozo, which means he is absolutely able to save. His salvation is comprehensive once and for all. He saves us from all that we need saving from. Christ's salvation is a complete deliverance no matter what our need is. And then also the word for able is the word dunatai. And that refers to his power and that Christ has the capacity to bring complete salvation. He is able to save and if there's anything that the enemy wants to try and put in your heart is that God is not able and that God cannot save. You all with me? That he's trying to get you to believe that he is not enough. Right from Genesis 3, right at the start, there is this questioning of God's ability. Did God really say that you can't be more like him? So this is where we need to lean in. And our response, therefore, is to ask the question, what does this make me or who does this make me? Now, I think a best, the best place to start before we go into Colossians is to understand the context of, of Colossians. It's obviously written to the church in Colossae, and they were facing heavy persecution. And under that persecution, under the Roman Empire, the Christians there were starting to lose their faith. Where is God when we need him? Has anybody been there before? Maybe you have a friend. Maybe it's not you, right? And they were starting to question because of the pressures of the lifestyle in Colossae, both the economic pressures as well as the persecutive pressures, that were, the pressure that was put on them. They were questioning whether God is real. And so Paul's role in writing the letter to Colossians, the Colossian people in the church, is to bring encouragement. And so he starts off by saying this in the passage that Bianca just read. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, you're doing evil deeds. Now, you don't have to put your hands up. Maybe just give me a little bit of a wink. But how many of you can remember when you were alienated and hostile in mind? Doing evil deeds. Some of you all putting your hands up. That's good. That's, that's the start. That's the start. So, firstly, we're going to understand the state we were once in. Everybody say, once you were. Once you were. See, when you say once you were, you're putting a timestamp about something that was true in your past. Once you were. To think that you were born and I was just naturally not a sinner. I was just amazing right from the start. Well, you've sinned right there. That's called pride, right? So <laughs> once you were, 
is, a, is understanding that, that initial state of what, what, does, what does the passage highlight? Alienation and hostility towards God because of our sinful actions and thoughts which are incompatible with a holy God. Any of you ever been in a situation where you've had to face or talk to people that are averse to God? They're hostile towards God. In fact, they are so angry at God, they shake their fist at a God they don't believe exists. You, God that doesn't exist, I'm mad at you. Right? That does seem illogical, but that anger, is, it comes from a place of usually there's hurt and things that have happened or maybe the example of Christianity around them has not been the best example. For instance, if God describes himself as the heavenly father throughout scripture, and yet our examples of fatherhood in our own lives or what we observe as fathers, if there's a lack thereof of fathers even in our own lives, sometimes brings into question the existence of God because we don't see the example of godly fatherhood in our lives. Or maybe the things that have happened where people that are in leadership in some form, especially in Christian organizations, dare I say churches and parachurch organizations, they're not the best reflection of Christ-likeness. See, my job as your pastor is not necessarily to draw you towards me, but to be somewhat of a translucent teacher and pastor for you so that you can develop your relationship in resilience towards God himself. That if anything in my life, I, I, I pray the prayer of Paul, that follow me as I follow Christ. I am not Christ. We are walking together to be more like him, to walk more in his ways. Once you were. And so when you can begin to understand that that was the state that you were in, you can begin to see the power of what he brings you into. Alienation. Since the fall, since Genesis 3, this has always been the objective of the enemy is to bring you back to that place of hostility towards God and alienation, to make you angry at God. If we as Christians can discover a resilience that comes only from the Holy Spirit, then we will be like Teflon, our hearts will be like Teflon, that no matter what the enemy throws our way, and whether you know it or not, you have three enemies, right? You have the devil, demonic. You have the world, the world system. And you have your flesh. And those three things are always trying to rob and steal and kill the, 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 very, the very seed of God's word as your truth. To bring about the point of a questioning that would come to your heart. Did God really say? Can you really believe that God is able to save? And this is what the enemy will try to do to alienate. Another, another expression of the word alienate is to isolate as well. To bring you away from the proximity of that relationship. And to bring you into a place of isolation. Now as your pastor, I look around this room and I see the beautiful faces of yourselves, but I also, in my heart, see the temptation that is there for us to isolate. Some of, of you may look around this room and see an empty chair and start to begin to think, where is this person? Where is that person? And you know the struggles and the trials that they're walking through. As the body of Christ, we work together to see the demon of alienation eliminated 
from our vocabulary and from the struggle by fighting to stay in relationship with one another and with God. So if you want something practical on top of that, invite people that are alienated, not just to church, but into your life. And he has now reconciled us, continuing that passage. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. So once we were alienated, now we are reconciled. And this is the powerful transition that we see moving from one state of being and status to another. See, reconciliation does two things, right? When I initially think of the word reconciliation, I think about two or more parties that are not in right relationship with one another, and they're brought back into that relationship, but it's deeper than that. Because in order for that to happen, there needs to be a change of two things. Number one, there needs to be a transformation of nature, and number two, there needs to be a transformation or a change of status. See, I can be reconciled to you momentarily if I've done something wrong to you, but if my heart is not changed, it's just a matter of time before I'll offend you again. But if my nature is changed, if my status is transformed from the inside out, I can now receive you in grace and forgiveness, not skeptical, so that if there's ever an attempt from you to offend me or for me to offend you, again, it's like Holy Spirit Teflon. It will not affect me. This is part of the mark of maturity in Christ. It doesn't necessarily mean that those things that are done to you are, are right. But it just means they won't affect you in the same way. We worship a Christ who had every right to be offended at the cross. But his cry from the cross as he'd been beaten, had his back flesh ripped off of him, was still, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I don't know about you. I'm not at that place yet. Far from it. But as we walk more and more in this oneness with Christ, this is what reconciliation does. Firstly, it changes the nature of something that is next to impossible into becoming something as to its original design. We know we can't change who we are. We can barely change our bad habits today, right? And indeed, we can't fix yesterday's sin. So to go from being hostile to God in mind and in action and being, uh, and being isolated and alienated, how is it possible between a holy and righteous and pure God and a person that's covered in offenses to come into proximity with one another? This is reconciliation. Changes our nature and he changes our status. Impact that Christ has in our life. It doesn't stop simply with conveying forgiveness. But Jesus does something that no one else or nothing else could achieve. Changes our status with God. Once we were alienated and hostile, now we are children of God if we walk once we were alienated and foreign to God, now we are reconciled to him. This is the power of reconciliation. Let's move further in this text in, in verse 22. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. See, what religion will do is it'll teach you that, oh, no, you know what, I've done enough. And Jesus just helped me out just a little bit. No, you were completely dismissed far into God, and now you've been reconciled to him, not just in terms of being able to be around him, but to be one with him. This is different. 
See, being presented to God presents uh, the, the idea of, of conveying proximity. Now, yesterday, I was at a, a funeral. Now, as we were at this funeral, I was just encouraging uh, the family that were there. Many of the, the, the family and friends that were there are not believers in Christ. And so I'd been given the task of, uh, of uh, leading the service. And then, uh, you know, the scripture that was given to me was from Revelation 21 and the promise that Christ gives. And for those of you who don't know, Revelation 21 is the second to last scripture of the whole Bible, the second to last chapter of the whole Bible. And the promise there is that God will wipe away tears from our eyes. There will be no more crying and no more death. That's, that's tough to present that to this people. But the reason why I believe it's possible is that God does not state that from a distance. He comes in proximity to you. He promises comfort to those who mourn in Matthew chapter 5. He promises that he will be with you, never leave you, never forsake you. See, other religions may just give you the teaching as if it's a textbook that you can quote but only Christianity promises his presence and his Holy Spirit that lives inside of you, that you can be one with him, and he will never, ever take that from you if you commit to living in him. He promises to present you holy and blameless above reproach, meaning that, again, to be above reproach, meaning that any complaint towards you that is given to you, won't stick because it has no reason to stick. It doesn't mean you won't be persecuted. In fact, the Bible promises persecution in Matthew 5 as well and suffering in other parts of the scriptures all throughout. If you are in Christ, you will experience suffering. How many of you know that to be true? All of us are so tired from the suffering, can't even drink. It's been tiring, right? I get it, man. The thing is, as you grow in maturity, you become above reproach, meaning that those complaints or those things that are dished out towards you, you're above them. The whole theme of Colossians, the book of Colossians, is that there is one who is preeminent. He is above that now because he has suffered the lowest of the lows and now exalted in the highest of highs. And he, he invites us to walk with him holy and blameless and above Reproach. NIV describes it as being free from accusation. You will be accused, but you're free from it. It won't stick. It's not true. Because I know who I am in Christ. And I bear his character the more that I walk in oneness with him. I start to look like him. Any of you ever met these older sages of the faith? that you know they've been through trial and tribulation, just years of, of endurance, and there's this maturity that can only come, it can't come from just knowing stuff from a library. They've actually had to go through all this process and stuff in their journey, and they come out on the other side, and it's like, wow, you've experienced God in a way that I have never been able to experience, and it's come with age, and it's come with time, and it's come with just facing and trusting God in the hardest of times. And they've come out on the other side after many of these experiences. And then to be with them is to be with one of the saints 
because they've had to endure so much. They understand when the scriptures say his mercy endures forever. This is, this is what holiness looks like, right? If the process of sanctification is to become more like Christ, submit our lives, and despite all of the things that will happen, your wood will never be wet because you're staying on fire, but you're not consumed. I liken it to like this, right? When I think about the power of transformation, I think about Christ going to the cross, being buried, being resurrected, and now seated at the right hand of the Father, that transformation that happens. The closest earthly, earthly analogy that I could find is that of the caterpillar and the whole process of the chrysalis, where that same creature will go into a cocoon I remember when I was in primary school, I, we did this experiment, right? You, you all done this before where you watch, a cat, you get a caterpillar. It's just so mean. You grab the caterpillar and you put it in a jar. You punch holes at the top just to give it some breath and, and stuff. And, and then you watch it form the cocoon and then you put it in a place where it has air so that it can go through the process. And you give it long enough and it will form a butterfly. And it's that same creature, but it looks completely different after it's come through that process. I don't know about you, but that's the mark of the life of a mature Christian. I quoted this this morning, uh, Ronald Roheiser, uh, a, a theologian, uh, said that the process of, of Christian maturity and discipleship can be marked in three ways. Number one, it's the way that they develop a life of deep reflective prayer. Number two, that they walk in close community with other Christians in a, you know, in a local expression. And in number three, and this is the one we don't like, he says suffering. Oh, I like the first two, God. I like hanging out with people that will help keep me encouraged. Oh, and I love, I love to pray, God. I love to be with you. But that suffering part, God, that's actually where maturing comes, is like when you can learn to walk through trials and tribulations. And then ask yourself, God, what are you trying to show me about my character? What are you trying to breed in me? What are you trying to birth in me? What are the things that you are shaping in the midst of this storm that I'm facing so that I can continue to sing praise? Last aspect of this is restoration. Again, everybody say, once you were. Just think about that for a moment. What were you like? before Christ got a hold of your life. And maybe you're in this room today and you're, you're, you're thinking, man, I want Christ to get a hold of my life. This is my once I was, but now I want to step into this new state. Restoration. Scripture continues to say, if indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting. I want you to catch this. I'll say it again. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now, if you read past that, you'll, you'll just be like, wow, that's, that's cool. Obviously, the stable and steadfast part stands out to us. But you've got to understand the testimony of the guy who's sharing this. This is Paul. He understands this chrysalis effect. He understands what it's like to be transformed from Saul to Paul. 
Those of you unfamiliar with the narrative, Saul was a persecutor and killer of Christians. It would be the equivalent of somebody from our culture who's been quote-unquote canceled walking into this room right now, coming up the front here and just worshiping God. I mean, you think of somebody who's been canceled in your own mind, whether it's a Kanye West. Walk up the front and just be like, I repent. I'm sorry, and the rest of us judgmental Christians are like, mm-hmm. We heard what you said at Drink Champs, you know, like what, what you know, all, all the stuff that we kind of process in our Pharisaic minds, thinking that people are beyond salvation because our understanding of salvation is I was just here and he was here, so God just saved me from a little bit. No, 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 no. You were dying, you were dead. He brought you back to life. That was Saul. Saul would walk into fellowships, right? And the transformation that would happen because of the encounter that he had on the road to Damascus, he'd walk into fellowships and everybody would be like either judgmental or fearsome. Half of the church would be like, oh, I can't believe that Saul is here. He's not worthy to be here. And the other half would be like, okay, hide your kids, hide your wife. Because he might kill us. It's judgment. And scripture is clear, right? Perfect love casts out all fear. That's the sort of transformation that can happen in their lives when people experience the presence of the Holy Spirit and walk one with him. It changes our perspective. So how do we respond? I gave you the answer on the screen. How do I respond? You respond in faith. And it's a faith that Jesus has already paid the ransom price so that we can be one with a holy God. Oneness with God looks like this, okay? I'm going to invite my friend Eugene. I'm just putting him on the spot. Come and stand up with me over here. Everybody give it up for Eugene. (laughs) My favorite Toronto Raptor fan. All right. So if, okay, let's pretend that he is Jesus. All right. My Korean Jesus. All right. Let's, Let's say that I am alienated and hostile towards God. It means that I'm, I deny you exist. I'm over here. I'm living my life trying to find fulfillment away from you. Then the second step is to be aware that you're there, know that you're there, but not have that relationship with you. And some of us may be in that state. For whatever reason, that proximity is not there. There's an ethereal knowledge that we can get from books. How many of you know there's people that know that there's an existence of God but don't have a relationship with you? So alienated, first step. Aware, second step. Third step is to be like in relationship with him. How's it going, Eugene slash Jesus? (laughs) 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 So, So we have a relationship. But I'm addressing Eugene, and the struggle is that I'm still me. And so the struggle is always the wrestling of um, do I believe my gospel? Or do I believe the gospel of Jesus? And the hardship of submitting to that. In fact, I was having a conversation on chat with Keisha this morning, and I was telling her about the Disney gospel. Okay, I'm going there. For all you Disney fans, I'm sorry. The false gospel is, is the Disney gospel. 
that basically says, follow your heart, follow your dreams. It's beyond the reef. It's, it's into the unknown, right? It's all this stuff of, it's over there. And it's always like, if I'm telling it to you like this, you can hear the lie. But if I'm singing it like Leah Salonga, maybe it might be different, right? Like, the real me will, will find and discover the, the real truth that's out there by myself. The issue is that it was twofold. Number one, I'm, fail- I, I, I'm, I, I'm um, fallible. So if I'm following my heart, it's the blind leading the blind. By no means is your pastor saying, don't watch Disney movies, all right? I'm just saying that I'm, I'm revealing what's, what's there at the heart of a lot of this. And, and if I'm fallen, then number two, I don't know where I'm going. Or like Moana said, how far I'll go, right? I don't know if I go into the unknown, whether I'll still be unknown, what Christianity says is your heart is tainted and fallen. And in order to know where you go, I need to have my heart transformed to the point where Jesus is on the throne of my heart and my life. So it's not lo- no longer this, just like this, me talking to him. But it's this oneness where I see things through his lens because we walk as one. And then he says to me, I can show you the world. Shining, shimmering, splendid. (laughs) Thank you. Give it up for Eugene. Thank you, bro. Are you seeing the difference? If we're walking as one, I see through the eyes of Christ. I think, 1 Corinthians says, we can have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 10 says that we can have the mind of Christ, that the weapons of our warfare are made mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. If I'm, if I'm just in this proximity uh, conversation with God, I can choose to believe or not believe. I'm not sure. I'll take little bits and pieces of what you say, but I won't embrace everything. To be one with God says, no, there's no other option. And that's, that's, where, that's what really is the wrestle here in Australia, is that you're surrounded by marketing and advertising and social media and even conversations at the workplace or in your classes that will say it's possible to walk with God, but there's a two-ness to it. And so every time you have this wrestling during your time with God as you're reading your devotionals, it's kind of like, oh, I'm not sure. I'll embrace that part. That part's nice. I read that before. You know, you're choosing it like as if you're at a buffet, right? Buffet Christianity. And God says, no, you're one with me. And as you walk one with me, your perspective changes about the way you see the world, the way you see yourself, and the way you see God. Like you actually believe he's able to save. Like you actually believe that the power of what he says in his word is actually true. And so when logic explains it this way, and theology explains it this way, do you, do you believe the truth of his word or do you believe logic to the point where it ends? And so this is what happens, church. Earlier in that chapter, that same chapter, Colossians chapter 1, Oneness is expressed in these various forms. I want you to catch this, okay? Verse 9 of that same chapter. If you are one with Christ, he says, number one, we have not ceased to pray for you. When you pray, you pray differently when you're one with him. I don't pray like, God, I'm not sure. But Lord, I pray for the butter because I got the bread. I'm not really sure if you're going to be able to come through. God, 
But when you're one with God, it's like, God, you are the bread of life. You are everything that I need. You own the cattle on the thousand hills, and you own the hills. So if those cattle are eating the grass on the hills, I got my milk, and the milk becomes butter. I'm good. I know that everything's going to be fine if I'm one with Christ. Some of you are looking at me. Your dairy interpretation of hermeneutics is completely out of perspective. But I'm here to tell you today that if you are one with God, you have nothing to fear. It's in that, those moments of two-ness that we actually start to fear. God says, no, be one with me. Number two, you know God's will and you have access to his wisdom. The scripture continues to say you're filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You trust in God's will. You trust in his timing. I don't know about you, but there have been times in my journey with God that I've prayed the prayer. God, give me patience and give it to me now. There's Veruca salt prayers. I want the world. I want the whole world. Take it and lock it all up in my pocket. It's my bar of chocolate. Like you're just praying these prayers as if God is your vending machine or your Aladdin or your genie, I should say, that's there to grant your wishes. No, he's God. So you pray with God's perspective. The issue becomes when he doesn't work on your time, you start to manufacture an Ishmael rather than trusting God for the Isaac. And he's not working it out on your time. God, I'm still single. I want to be married. Married people go, God, I'm married. I want to be single. I mean, it's both ways. It's this dissatisfaction that we have when our our lives aren't one with God. When you are one with God, you're satisfied with what, what he has for you. Number three, you're fully pleasing to him. Number four, you bear fruit in every good work. Everything that you do, if you are one with God, is purposeful. Did you know that when Christ walked the earth, there was not one step he he took that was a mistake? There was not one word that he said that was a mistake. Everything that he did, because he's one with the Father, was perfect. And I'm not saying that we need to be perfect, but those times when we wrestle with whether it's going to happen is when our theology does not collide with our lives. Carry on. We increase in our knowledge of God. We know him better. We are also strengthened with all power because he gives that to us. We're thankful for our inheritance in him. Did you know you have an inheritance of all these scriptures in him? And then lastly, you are redeemed and forgiven. These are the very things the enemy will try to convince you of that you don't have. But if you're one with him, you can read these scriptures and say, wow, God, you are amazing. If I'm one with you, if I'm crucified with Christ, it's no longer I that lives, it's Christ who lives in me. So the invitation is, do you want to be one with God through Jesus? Take your relationship with God to another level where it's actually understanding what it is to be a living sacrifice, meaning that every day you come to him saying, God, I know what you know what's best for me, so I'm just going to choose to offer myself sacrificed. It's no longer about me. It's all about you. Let's take a moment to pray. God, the invitation is here. It's clear, God. It's clear even for me. To be one with you means to offer ourselves. And so, Lord, as this invitation is here, God, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us Help us to have the grace and the faith to be able to trust you wholeheartedly in this oneness. You're here with every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here today and your desire 
say, man, I want to be one with God. I want to trust him. Maybe you're facing a storm or a trial and the pressure is on, on your faith to, to see whether you, you can trust him for what he has, what's best. Maybe you're about to make a decision. You never consulted God and God's like, if you let me in on the throne of that decision, the throne of what you've already settled in your heart, I'll actually help you to find my perfect will if you'll just let me take my rightful place on the throne of your life. And I want to invite you into that space. If that's you today, if you're desiring to surrender your circumstances, your decisions, your life to him, can I just get you to lift your hands to him so I can pray for you this morning? Father, I pray for these ones who have their hands lifted, their hearts lifted towards you. I pray against the defiance and the pride, Lord God, that will cause us to not trust you for your best. What you have is best for us. Lord, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are made in your image. So, Lord, we put our trust in you this morning wholeheartedly. Come and have your way, we pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed today's message brought to you by Every Nation Brisbane. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at ianbrisbane.org. Thank you for listening. God bless.